about two or three weeks ago, we had that prelude to revival, and God stirred up much among us and drew us to himself and was renewing our minds and transforming our hearts and moving us out on action, and we want to see that continue. So hopefully, if you're not in one of our ethos communities, you'll jump in one starting this week. We're going to continue with this theme of continuous revival in our ethos communities starting tonight and all the way to the end of May. Before we go into what we're going to talk about this morning, I I feel like it's going to be a lot of information really fast, and we could stop and pause and talk about significant things based upon what we're going to see this morning in God's Word. I believe that God wants to speak to all of us through His Word, but I think He has specific things that He wants to say to some of you that you may not be expecting here this morning that may actually alter your life, alter your mindset, alter your heart. It's pretty serious what we're going to talk about because it has to do with the rest of your life. So before we do that, I I think it's very important for us to pause and pray. So let's pray. Lord, I, I just ask you to help us hear you because some of us came here this morning and some of us are married and we've already had a fight with our husband and wife an argument and some of them had difficulty with the kids and some of us had difficulties with our lives last night and over the weekend and some of us are starting a new term and it's just it's a mess already or we're already stressed. Lord, we have issues, and it's not like you are only going to speak if we have our stuff together, because we don't. So we ask that somehow you would enable us to hear you and to listen. What you may be saying to us this morning as you want to direct our lives and redirect our lives and focus our lives or refocus our lives, I just ask that we would hear you, but that your, your Holy Spirit would speak in a powerful way so that we can respond. And I ask that this would happen now. Engage us now. Help us to be engaged now. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. This past January, I went to a conference in New York City in the Manhattan area. I really like that area. It's a really great place to visit. It was a uh, kind of a two-day event. It was The name of it was Calling calling. Basically, it was to help people discover and live out their God-giving calling in life. Now, what does calling mean? This is where things can get pretty fuzzy and um, hard to explain, and I'm just going to kind of open the discussion this morning, and may it continue. But what does it mean when we talk about calling? And sometimes it's just, what does that even mean? Well, Part of it, what it means is that God has called us to salvation in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, God has called you to Jesus. But you, you will often hear the definition broaden out to ministers, pastors, people like myself. You'll hear us say things like, people will ask, why are you in the ministry? And we'll say stuff like, well, God has called me into the ministry. You've heard that phrasing before? But the problem with narrowing that definition to just being saved or to ministers, that seems to leave no room for those of you who feel called to be scientists. 
or teachers, or you feel like God has called you to be a mother or a business person or a doctor. And so what I want to do for our purposes here this morning, I want to broaden the definition of calling to include all of us. So here's the idea to include all of us. You ready? God has created you with specific talents and gifts that are meant to be used to target burdens that he's placed upon your heart. I'm going to put this definition up. It's by Pete Richardson. He actually led the discussion that today. Let me put this definition up. It says, your calling is the intersection of your God-given talents and your heart's burden for the world. Now, for those of you who are not really keen on definitions, let's do a little diagram. All right? I'm going to put this diagram up for you. Maybe this will help. So I'm going to read it again. Your calling is the intersection of your God-given talents and your heart's burden for the world. So right there in the middle where it says calling, that's the sweet spot, right? That's like, yes, that is where you want to be living and operating if, if it's possible in, in this world. The idea here is that, and I really want you to get this, it's not just your job. So maybe in the future you may be called to have a family and, you're, and you're, each family tends to have a specific emphasis where their gift mix comes together to address the burdens of this world. And so it can broaden out to your family. It can also broaden out to your church where you utilize your gifts within a body of Christ specific burdens with the gift mix that you have. It can broaden out to your personal time, where in your personal time you want to create good art, or you want to create wonderful music, or creative writing. That's your gifting and calling. Or or maybe it could, could broaden out to your community. You say, you know, I really feel called to create safer streets in Chicago. I'm going to use my gift mix, and that's my burden. I'm going to use it to create safer streets. Or even in your relationships and connecting and ministering to other people. But most definitely, and what we're going to talk about mostly today, is your job, your career, what you do full-time, where your passions with your gifts and your burdens kind of all collide together, and maybe you want to build better bridges or make energy-efficient cars. It's like something is going on within you that is colliding with your burdens and is expressing in your calling. Now, this is a very squishy thing to get a hold of, and it's not always expressed in the terminology of calling. Most of you will ask different questions. Rather than saying, what is my calling, you will ask questions like this. What is God's will for my life? Has anybody ever asked that question? Or more frantically, we may ask, what am I supposed to do with my life? A little freaked out when you ask it. A little pulling up the hair in frustration. What am I supposed to do with my life? And what's interesting, it's not just a question that college students ask. You may think that once you're a college student and you can nail down this question, then you'll never ask it again. (laughs) Wrong. People of all ages are are basically asking the question, what am I supposed to do when I grow up? (laughs) Because we still have gifts, we still have burdens, and things, even as we age, we could be in 70s and 80s and our 90s and still wonder, what am I supposed to be doing? 
What's the next phase? Where, where am I supposed to go? And so it, it's a common thing that flows into different areas of our lives. But here's the challenge. And this is the most challenging and frustrating thing that all of you will experience. And here it is. You can't see the future. You can't. I can't. You can't. And that's the biggest challenge is we can't see the future. It's almost like we want our future in HD. We want high definition, clarity, crystal clear. God, show me what I should major in. Show me what job to take. Show me the career shifts. Show me who to marry. Show me to stay single. God, tell me when I'm going to have kids or not have kids. Tell me when I'm going to retire, what I'm going to do next. Tell me about the exciting things and the low points of my life. God, I want to see it all in HD, crystal clear. Let me see it right now. Boom, go. Doesn't work that way because God is God and you're not. So rather than high definition, I thought I would show you something today which is more likely what you're going to experience. And it comes from this high technology piece right here, which most of you don't even know what it is because you're too young. But it's a Polaroid camera. Watch out. <laughs> Watch out. And I, I, you're like, what is that? <laughs> what is a Polaroid camera? Well, I'm going to show you by taking a picture of these beautiful people right here. I'm so glad that you guys <laughs> sat so close. This is awesome. All right, so here we go. I would appreciate it if you would smile on three. One, two, three. Technology right there. All right, now, I'll put this, put this away. Do not steal this, by the way, please. Now, I'm going to show you. I just took their picture, and I'm going to show you on the camera if we can do this. This is what it looked like. This is them smiling. Well, here we go. Isn't that so clear? Yeah. Oh, you see them smiling? Don't you see it? No, you don't see it, do you? That's the way they work. That's the way Polaroids work, okay? It's something called slow exposure. That's all you get for now. We'll come back to that later. <laughs> You're like, man, that's nothing. Yeah, so you kind of see the concept we're getting at here of this slow exposure. Things are not clear up front. It's not all mapped out. It's not HD. It's dark. And this is what I want to try to emphasize over and over again today, and it goes like this. God's calling for your life begins to be exposed slowly as you step out and live in full dependence on Him. I'm going to say it again. God's calling for your life begins to be exposed slowly as you step out and live in full dependence on Him. Let's turn to Proverbs 16. We're going to the book of Proverbs, and we're obviously trying to hit the whole book, be finished hopefully by the end of June. We've been going through Proverbs all year. And we're in Proverbs 16 today. And as we are in Proverbs 16... 
we're going to keep it simple. We are going to consider three aspects of living your calling. Three aspects of living your calling. And yes, it is slow exposure. It's not clear up front all that you're supposed to do. But just because it's slow exposure does not mean that you're supposed to be inactive. I think that God's will and calling your life um, is, is like an EBF Easter egg hunt. For those of you who were at the EBF Easter egg hunt last week, it wasn't hard to find the eggs. They're just thrown out there, okay? Like when I was young, back in the day, you had to actually hunt for the eggs, but not at EBF. They're thrown out in the field. The kids say go. They're all picked up in about 25 seconds, just like that. That's kind of what I'm trying to get at. Though it may be a slow exposure, you're not to be in the dark about, you're not to just sit there and go, I'm going to do nothing until God shows me everything. No, no, no. There's always something to do. There's always a next step. There's never a point where you're just sitting around doing nothing. So that's why we're going to talk about these three aspects of living your calling because it may not always be clear and it won't always be clear, but there's always something you can be doing in living your calling. So here we go. Living your calling, point number one. Here we go. Plan and work while trusting in the sovereignty of God. Plan and work while trusting in the sovereignty of God. Proverbs 16, verse 1. Let's go. The plans of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The Bible is all for making plans. The plans of the heart belong to man. You've been created with the mind to work through different options. Your thoughts and your motives make up your heart, and you seek to plan the future. You picked a major. You picked a job. You picked career shifts. You plan your future as best as you can. And part of this planning, as you and I both know, is understanding yourself. You don't know yourself. You don't know your gift mix. You're going to make a disaster of your life. So you have to know what you're good at, what you're not good at, where you have aptitude, where you do not, where's your ability and passions, gifts, where they're at. So here's the question. Where is your gift zone? Where are you, like, operating in the zone? It's very important as you plan and think about the future to try to hit your gift zone. Dave Kraft explains the concept, I'll put these three up, of comfort zone versus gift zone versus danger zone. Now get this. Where we want to land is gift zone. All of us have a certain comfort zone with our lives where we're just comfortable. We're not pushing ourselves. We're not being challenged. We're just kicking back. We're taking it easy. All of us need to push beyond that comfort zone and try to operate in our gift zone, which is our sweet spot. But get this. Some of you, if you're not careful, will move from your gift zone to your danger zone. And that happens when you start trying to push and branch beyond yourself. It's like you would tell somebody that they are reaching. They're reaching too far beyond themselves, outside of their gift zone, and they're going to enter the danger zone. And if you enter the danger zone, what's going to start happening is you're going to get frustrated with your job. You're going to get frustrated with your life because you're not operating your gifts. So there could be a guy in this congregation who is a huge people person, and a lot of you are. 
You love people. You love your job where you're around people. You're interacting with people. You're sharing your expertise and your gifts. But another job has currently come open, and that job's going to pay more. It's going to be an advancement. But that is going to put you working mainly by yourself, crunching numbers. And you're thinking, huh, that sounds great. I want more money. I want an advancement. But if you're not careful, you may be moving out of your gift zone into a danger zone. We all have to kind of examine our hearts to make sure we're not reaching beyond ourselves, reaching beyond our callings because we're trying to follow this flow of ambition. Yes, we plan, but we plan as people who have knowledge of ourselves. What are you good at? Hit your sweet spot of your gift zone. But get this, not only do you plan, but you also work hard. Proverbs 21 says this, Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance. So here's the connection of planning with diligence. We don't just plan, we actually try to execute it and work hard. The book of Proverbs is filled with exhortations to work hard. You see, a lot of us will have burdens and passions and gifts, but we don't want to work hard. I know there's a lot of you in here who have passions for orphans, for the poor, for the oppressed, for the trafficked, and you want to do something about it. And so you may take a, a mini mission trip or a, an exploration vision trip to a certain country like this past December, I went to Haiti to explore the, the, what was going on at the orphan crisis there. And what I discovered is that it's fine for me to do a small trip. It's fine for me to do a little vision mission trip. But to make a dent in the, the problem is probably going to take a lifetime of me working hard. You know what I mean? So, like, if you want to make a dent, you probably have to go there, settle down, lifetime of working hard. And it doesn't just apply for our passions on missions, but it broadens out to all categories. There is no generation that is exempt from working hard. We all have to work hard, whether you're old, whether you're young. Donald Miller, he's, he's a writer, and he, he, just this past week he posted something uh, called Why Most 20-somethings Are Delusional. So if you're a delusional 20-something, go ahead and raise your hand. All right, so thank you. So this is what he says on why most 20-somethings are delusional. He says it's because they believe this, that passion displaces work. That if I'm just passionate about something, man, I'm going to just go knock it out. Because it's all about passion. I don't have to work hard. I just be driven by passion and just make it happen. Now, I'm going to say something that he says here. And now, for, some of, for most of you, this is going to be like this. You're not going to get at all what I'm talking about. But I'm, for, for, I'm just talking to a select group of 20-somethings right now, especially the deluded ones, all right? So for, for you, this will make sense. But for the rest of you, it'll be like, what are you talking about? All right, so here we go. This is what Donna Miller said. He says, he says this. He says, I know you've read Seth Godin and his book, Convention You to become a billionaire by creating a tribe, or, and then you read Timothy Ferris' book, Convincing You, that you could work a few hours a week and be rich. But guess what? Both of those guys work like Depression-era farmers. They're cranking out the hours because it holds true. If you want to eat, you have to work, and you have to work hard. 
that this is no generation. We all have to work hard. And if you're pushing on something that you believe is your calling, your gifting in life, and it's not working out so well, it might mean you need to quit. But it more likely means that you need to keep cranking and keep working hard. There's a famous idea that has, that has come out through many people, but Malcolm Gladwell of the book Outliers said, if you want to get really good at something, you've got to crank at about 10,000 hours. I was trying to do the math of 10,000 hours this week. Well, how long is that? Well, depending on how you allocate your time, it's about four and a half to ten years. Some of you were just getting started. It's going to take hard work. It's not like we have a, go- a calling from God, a gifting, and boom, it just happens. It takes time. It's going to take planning. It's going to take hard work. The Bible's not exempting you from any of that. But as you plan and as you work hard, go back to point one, living your calling. Plan and work while trusting in the sovereignty of God. As you plan and work, understand that God decrees the ultimate plan. Go back to verse one. The plans of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the Lord, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. What that basically means is that God's plan will be the ultimate outcome. So the answer a person gives with their tongue is from the Lord. The idea is that a person plans, but the ultimate plan is from the Lord. That God is sovereign and in control. Let me put another proverb up for you. Proverbs 19.21. It says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The idea is that there are a lot of plans in the world today. There are a lot of plans in this room today, but only one plan is going to come to fruition, and that's the Lord's plan. And sometimes that will be exactly what you suspected that would happen. Oftentimes it won't be what you expected to happen. But the difficulty is, is that when you make all these grand plans and you work super hard, and then you have all your plans reworked by God. Have any of you ever experienced that? You had a plan, you had a goal, you knew where you were going in life, you planned it, you worked super hard, and then all of a sudden, it got turned upside down, and God took you in a totally different direction. Does anybody ever get frustrated by that? I was speaking to someone uh, this week, a young woman, who kind of wonders what the point of an entire decade of her life was. Any of you in here have lost decades? <laughs> You're like, well, what was the point of that? I just spent 10 years doing that. She spent 10 years cranking out degrees, going a certain direction in life, and now she finds herself at a point in her life where she is using very little of it. And she's like, what was the point? And I asked her, I said, you know, you know the good pastor question is, how does that make you feel? And she said, you know, it just makes me angry. I said, are you angry at God? She said, yes, I get angry at God. She said that sometimes she gets envious of other people because they get to do what they want to do. She's confused. And she says at times she feels lost. Can you relate to that? It's like you, you had some dreams, you had some visions, you had some goals. That didn't work out. Now what? And I think the, the right, God-driven, biblical answer is that God's still sovereign. He's still in control. And if no one's told you this, I'm going to tell you this. He still loves you. 
he's not against you. And the Bible tells us he's still working for your good. And he's still working in ways to bring himself glory. And I know that doesn't fix everything for you, but you need to know that God still loves you. He's still for you. He's still working for your good and for your glory, though everything hasn't been working out the way you wanted to. Author and pastor David Platt has a good word. He's talking about God. He says, his ultimate concern is not to get you or me from point A to point B along the quickest, easiest, smoothest route possible. Instead, his concern is that you and I would know him more deeply as we trust him more completely. (laughs) It's like point A, God, I just want to get to point B as fast as I can get there, so let's go. And you start heading that direction, and you're not making any progress. And you're planning, and you're working hard. And God's like, okay, keep coming to me. Keep drawing near to me. That's the goal. Keep coming near to me. Keep drawing near to me. That's the goal. Well, let's move on to the second part. And this is where it gets kind of of dirty here. Number two, examine your motives while God exposes your heart. This is part of living your calling. Examine your motives while God exposes your heart. Verse 2 of chapter 16, look at it. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Chances are that almost every single one of you in here think that you have right motives, don't you? (laughs) That in your eyes, from what you can tell, you have no blind spots. You are the first person that's ever been created (laughs) without blind spots. You got it all figured out. That there, you know exactly what you're doing. Your heart's totally in line. All is good. But the problem is, though all of us see that we're pure in our own eyes, it's often the case that we have less than pure motives. Maybe some of you, you're pursuing a certain direction in life, and the reason why you're doing it is because you just want to cash in. Or maybe you're doing it because you want someone to say, Dude, you're awesome. I've never seen anybody more awesome than you. So there's not always these these great motives within us. But allow me to go a different direction, because we always talk about bad motives in that way. Allow me to go a different direction. I'm wondering if some of you are not pursuing your calling because of something that's going on in here. Like you've not even you're not even going in that direction. Because something is off in here. You know what you're supposed to be doing, but you're you're, you're not even going there. Now, what we're about to do is something called a sermon timeout. I rarely do these timeout. So somehow I'm going to step outside the sermon right now, and I'm going to talk to you on a sermon timeout. The next portion of my sermon is going to be uh, quoting uh, a guy named Rick Warren who, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And... As I was working on this, I discovered last night that his son, 27-year-old son, uh, killed himself. And what was going on is most of his life, his son struggled with mental illness and uh, took his life on Friday night. And as I was thinking about that, and I'm about to share with you something from Rick Warren, is just thinking, you know, ministers and pastors, 
when we preach sermons or write books, we often do it from a point of a lot of pain ourselves. So it's not like we're really disconnected from you, that our lives are perfect. So what I'm going to share with you from him and, and, and as I keep preaching, don't think I got it all figured out and don't think that all that I talk about makes me separate from suffering or pain because I'm with you. I suffer as much as you and we don't want to do grades and all that, but we, we have pain in our lives. So let's try to go time back in now <laughs> if that's possible and go back to the point that there is some things that are going on inside of you right now that may be keeping you from doing God's will. And Rick Warren wrote this book, Purpose Driven Life, and I don't know if you know this, but it's the best-selling hardback book of all time. Like, how do you do that? Best-selling hardback book of all time. And next to the Bible, it's the second most translated book ever. And he's about to come out with an anniversary edition 10 years later of The Purpose Driven Life. And while he wrote the first book, Maybe some of you have already read it. And over the years, people would write him letters. And he would notice some common themes in these letters that people would write. And here is what he says are two common things that he's noticed that keep people from pursuing their calling. Let me put it up for you. He says, the two greatest barriers that keep people from fulfilling their purpose are envy and people-pleasing. Maybe this is going on in your heart. Expose your heart. Um, Maybe you think that you can't be happy until you're doing what someone else is doing. So you have this envy issue going on. And so you're not taking any movement to do anything because you think there is no happiness unless you're doing this like that person. And I'm just wondering, who in here is not fulfilling their calling in life because they have envy issues? And then he talks about people-pleasing. Some of you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're calling your life, using your gifts, because you want to please people. You're afraid of what they may think of you if you start to do this. And let's, let's just get really real here and, and have understanding that I know there's a lot of students in here, and some of you students are majoring in and about to do a certain job and a certain career not because you like it, it's because your parents like it. And you're miserable, and you don't want to do it, but you want to please your parents, and, and respectfully, you want to honor your parents. But I just want to say that as you grow old, as you grow into an adult, honor looks differently as it did when you were a child. And you are a responsible human being. And if you're just going to do this because your parents want you to do it, you know you're going down a road that's going to make you pretty miserable. So with respect and kindness and graciousness, you need to go a different direction. You can't let the fear of people keeping you from walking a certain road and calling your life. So we've got to search our hearts. What's going on inside your heart that's going to keep you from doing God's calling in your life? Look at the second part of the verse. Said all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, verse 2, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Basically, this is meaning that we're not very good at searching our own hearts, that we need to ask God to search our hearts because the Lord will weigh the Spirit 
All that we do is visible in his sight. All our motives are right before the Lord. And so I think a good thing for many of us here this morning is say, God, you search my heart. God, you expose my motives. Use your word. Use other people. By the power of your spirit, God, you do this work in me. It's like the psalmist prays in 139, 23, and 24. It's a great prayer. Write it down. Say it daily. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. My brothers and sisters, some of you need to be honest about what is going on inside that's keeping you from stepping out and doing what you're supposed to be doing because I know that some of you have stalled out. Your life's not going the way you want. You didn't get the career you want. You didn't marry the person you want. You didn't get the kids you want. You didn't get to live where you wanted to live, and you're so frustrated, and you've basically taken your gifts and buried them. It's, you are so discouraged and so disappointed. It's time for you to become unstalled and to get started again. Say, God, here's my motives. Here's what's going on. God, come in and heal me, and let's refocus, and let's get going again. No matter what age you are, you can have a reshaped calling. No matter what talents you've buried or gifts you've squandered away from your foolishness or the foolishness of other people in your life, today is a day we can start seeing a reshaped calling. I've seen people in their 40s and 50s and 60s have things turned around for them because they finally started dealing with issues in their lives that's keeping them from walking out in the giftings that God has given them. It's never too late. So here we are, come to the last one of living your calling. It's kind of like the first one, number three. Commit your work to the Lord while leaving the results to God. I love this, I love this, I love this. It's basically saying just take your, all your work, your motives, your plan, your life and say, God, here, I commit it all to you. There's some things that you don't know what's going to happen next. You have some different options in your life, some different possibilities, different plans. God, here, I'm going to give it all to you. You work the plans, rework the plans, scrap the plans. I'm going to hand it all over to you. And it says, and your plans will be established. Establishing plans is God's work bringing to fruition our dreams and visions and blessings. We commit it to him, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. So if God agrees with your plans and your dreams and your goals, they'll be part of history. We leave the results to God. And if you're here this morning and you are firing at all cylinders, give glory to God. If you're here this morning and things aren't working so well, give glory to God because he's working for your good and his glory. And I really think the most challenging piece will be is for those people that are here this morning who are doing their jobs right now for a paycheck because they have to. I do not want to see a show of hands, but I know there are many of you who are doing your job right now because you have to pay the bills. You do not like it. You do not enjoy it. It's not what you want to be doing. You have in mind something else, but you have to pay the bills. And in obedience to the Lord and responsibility in this world, you've got to keep that job. The Word of God says, commit it. Commit your work to the Lord. So how can you commit your work to the Lord when you hate your job? <laughs> how do you do that? Commit it to the Lord? No, I want to quit. 
So how do you commit it to the Lord when you, and you hate the work? I find this to be very helpful. Like if you could get a book this week, there's a lot of books you can get, but Oz Guinness wrote this book, The Call. The Call. And he makes a distinction in his book between primary calling and secondary calling. And if you're a believer in Jesus, your primary calling is to Jesus. He died on the cross for your sin. He was buried. He rose again. We repent and put our faith in him. Now he's Lord. So I am called to be a follower of Jesus Christ and honor him as Lord. Primary call. But then there's a secondary call. And there is no promise in this fallen world that you are guaranteed to be walking in this secondary call. Because the world is a fallen world. There's no guarantee. If you're walking in your secondary call, it is a blessing. But in this world that's fallen, there's a lot of issues with that. But if you can separate the two and think, okay, here's my primary call to Jesus Christ. My secondary call is not going so well. But guess what? Because your primary call is to Jesus. Jesus can give meaning to your work. Jesus can give meaning to your work as you can do it with excellence. You can do it with giving Him glory. You can do it with integrity. You can do it by praising Him. It's almost as if your primary call to Jesus can make sometimes your job, that you might not look too much, come alive. And say, God, I'm going to give you glory and honor you where you have me in my life right now because my primary call is to you. That's what I think all of us, whatever we're doing, stay-at-home mom, working, Whatever you're doing full-time, you can commit it all to the Lord. And however he works it out, whatever the results look like, to him be the glory. So where do we begin? We begin by saying God's calling and will for your life begins to be exposed slowly as you step out and live in full dependence on him. I'll say it again. God's calling and will for your life begins to be exposed slowly as you step out and live in full dependence on him. Well, let's revisit our Polaroid of these beautiful people. Let's see how they turned out. Look pretty good. All right. Mm, let me tilt it right. Uh, well, mm, yeah, that better. <laughs> kind of. Kinda. Now, it's basically... It's not all there, but you can kind of see it starting to look good. But that, that took time, right? And this is what's going to happen. As you progress through your life, the future may not be clear. But you may be able to look back and go, Oh, yeah, that's what you were doing. I mean, that time, that decade, that was terrible, but I can kind of see what you were doing there. And, but for the most part, you're not going to be able to do that until you get the glory, until you're with the Lord. And I'm not sure what the looking back's going to look like, but it's going to be all clear when you're with the Lord in glory. But as you look to the future <laughs> right now, it's not so clear. And you know why? Because God set it up that way. So you would be dependent upon him. So each day you would get up and say, God, 
I need you today because I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm making plans, but I don't know how they're going to happen. So God, I'm going to seek your face today. God set it up this way. So each day we would get up and say, okay, God, examine my heart. What's going on in my heart, God? Expose me. Show me your grace. Show me your forgiveness. God set it up this way. So we wake up each day and commit our work against him because we don't know what's going to happen to us. God set it up this way so that we would trust him and walk with him. God set it up this way because he's God and we're not. And that's okay. Because he's a good God. And he loves us. And he's working for our good and for his glory. And so, yes, it is a slow exposure. But he's calling you to step out and to trust him and to do something. Might not all be clear, but there is something you can do today in trusting and depending upon him. Let's pray. Lord, I want to ask right now that you would um, have a, that your people would talk to you and talk to you about um, what's going on in their hearts, maybe some confusion, some frustrations. They would just be open to what's going on inside of, of hurt, disappointment. Maybe some people here today want it to be in a certain spot and they're not there. Or they want it to be married and they're not there. Or they didn't want to be married and they are. Or they, they wanted kids or didn't want kids or can't have kids. There's a lot of things going on of expectations that we, we wanted and we were hoping where we'd be. Lord, I just ask you to minister to us as broken people living in a broken world who are just wanting to follow Jesus. Minister to us during this time and show us that you do love us. You sent your son for us. As we trust Jesus for our salvation, help us to trust Jesus for everything, for our future, for our direction. So, Lord, if there's some new trust that needs to happen today, may you create that in our hearts. May you show us how good you are and how much you love us and care for us. And for a lot of us, it's just a black picture ahead of us. Show us what we're supposed to do today. And if we're alive tomorrow, show us what we're supposed to do tomorrow. Help us to walk in dependence upon you because you're working for our good and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.